Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Story time. I was late for a clean up the trails work hike. I decided to just go off on my own since I made the trip and people I knew were leaving. This wasn't late at night, but the result was pretty creepy. So I'm wandering around different trails when I see this area with willow-type trees. There was a path that was overgrown that the young kid in me wanted to explore. I soon entered a shaded area with less foliage. On the ground there was a child's backpack with girls' clothes strewn about. The sight was unexpected. The clothes were filthy. I looked around and nobody was there so I started to explore the area. I found a small black and burned hole in the ground. Inside were two burned drivers licensed. Then I looked over a small distance and saw the top of a blue tarp after a decline. My heart started beating now. I walked over to the tarp. There was another girl's backpack next to the tarp. Pink girl's underwear and a school notebook, makeup kit, all strewn about next to the tarp. Typing this feels strange. Like it didn't really happen. I remember my heart beating and preparing myself for what was under the tarp. I pull it up and there's a shovel. That's it just a shovel. Which was better than a body but still macabre in a way. Then I heard a noise. I grabbed the girl's notebook and ran the hell out of there so fast all the way back to my ex-postal van. I start reading the notebook. It's a high school girl's notebook. She talks about boys and running away, at least those are the things I remember and she scribbles all these little doodles. Then I found a page with names and phone numbers. I start calling down the list. I'll never forget the first person to answer. David King. I tell him I found a girl's backpack and that I just want to make sure she's okay. I knew her name from the notebook and he said he didn't know her but his daughter was in high school, maybe it was her friend. But it was his name in her notebook. He answered to David. I told him I was going to call the police to make sure she was alright. The guy directly told me there was no need to do that. 
He said it in the sketchiest way which added to the bizarreness. So I call the police and tell them the story. Then I told them I'd try to take care of it myself but if it got weird I'd call back. I expected her to say not to involve myself, that they'd take a look, but she was just like okay and that was it. I kept calling numbers and get in touch with a guy who says he knows her. He actually says he's on the way to see her at that moment. He tells me she'll call me back. I grabbed the dog away spray that came with my ex-postal van and went back for the backpack. When I got there I put all her things inside and then left. The girl called me. She said it was her backpack that got stolen at a party. She gave me a new number to call her the next day and we would meet up somewhere. When I called the next day though it was that guy again, the one who said he knew her. The weird thing was the guy sounded old and she was obviously young so it was creepy. The guy tells me she's not feeling well and that she just wants me to meet up with him and he'll give it to her. He wants me to meet up with him in front of a liquor store. I should mention that I previously had her confirm info from the notebook so I knew it was actually her. I tell the guy that I'm not meeting up with him in front of a liquor store, but he puts the girl on and she says she doesn't feel well and it would be a big favor, so like an idiot I agree. I park around the corner from this liquor store. It's pretty ridiculous this meetup, like I'm doing a drug deal except it's a girl's backpack with her school stuff. And the guy, he's like in his 40s, dark skinned with a scraggly grey goatee thing on his chin. The guy is thankful. He tells me not to worry about the girl because she has her protectors which obviously made me worry. This is where the story gets bad from my point of view. I did nothing. The police did nothing. It was obvious to me the girl was a runaway and this guy was either pimping her or drugging her or who knows what. The David King guy was probably a John or something. It reminded me of the movie Taxi Driver, except I pussied out and did nothing. Just went on with my life. I guess the girl was alive and got her backpack so there's that. It just felt like I was suddenly obligated to save this girl based on fate or something and I wasn't up to the task. During the years between 1965 to 1974 I lived in Pontiac, Michigan. I was a teenager at that time many local teens and teens from other surrounding area would go to an area called Bald Mountain. On this property there was a block house with bars on all the windows and steel door. On the door Wolfbane was painted local legend was that a man was found in the house with his throat ripped out and that he thought there was a werewolf living in the surrounding woods. I have tried to researching this story but can't find anything I have often wondered if this was the dog man having spent many weekends at this house and having many strange experiences do you have anyone telling you stories about this house sadly the area was blocked off by police to keep people from getting in any help you can give me about area would be appreciated. Thank you. The journey from New Jersey to East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania was one that we had made countless times. We were accustomed to the winding roads, the dense forest that seemed to close in around us, and the way the moonlight filtered through the trees, casting eerie shadows on the pavement. But this particular night was different. It was around 1 a.m., and the Poconos had never felt so desolate and ominous. I gripped the steering wheel with both hands, my knuckles white as I navigated the dark, 
lonely stretch of road. Sarah sat in the passenger seat, her eyes fixed on the road ahead, though there was little to see beyond the reach of our headlights. Can't wait to get home, she said, her voice barely louder than a whisper. Me too, I replied, my voice carrying a hint of exhaustion. As we continued down the deserted highway, a feeling of unease settled over us. The isolation of the Poconos at night had a way of playing tricks on the mind, making ordinary sounds seem sinister and casting doubt on the familiar. It was during this eerie silence that Sarah suddenly pointed to something on the side of the road. Matt, did you see that? She asked, her voice trembling. I squinted through the windshield, trying to make out what had caught her attention. I saw a faint figure up ahead, walking slowly along the shoulder of the road. It was a person, dressed in what appeared to be white hospital scrubs. Yeah, I see them, I replied, my grip on the steering wheel tightening. What on earth are they doing out here at this hour? Sarah's concern deepened as we approached the mysterious figure. She could see that the person's posture seemed strange, almost as if they were hunched over, as if carrying a heavy burden. She urged me to slow down, not only out of concern for the stranger but also out of curiosity. As we neared the person in scrubs, the headlights of our car illuminated the area, revealing more details. The figure's face was obscured, and their movements were slow and deliberate, as if they were in a trance. Sarah's heart pounded in her chest, and a sense of foreboding washed over her. Should we stop and check if they need help? She asked, her voice quivering. I considered the situation for a moment, then nodded. I eased the car to a stop, and the two of us watched as the person in scrubs continued to shuffle forward, their head hung low. Stay in the car, I instructed as I got out, my footsteps echoing in the silence of the night. Sarah watched anxiously as I approached the mysterious figure. I called out to them, asking if they were okay, but there was no response. It was as if the person was oblivious to our presence. I reached out to touch their shoulder, hoping to get their attention. But as my hand made contact with the person in scrubs, something chilling happened. The figure seemed to evaporate, dissipating into thin air like a wisp of smoke. I stumbled backward in shock, my eyes wide with disbelief. What? What just happened? I muttered to myself. Sarah, who had witnessed the entire surreal encounter from the safety of the car, was equally bewildered. She stepped out of the vehicle, her heart still racing, and joined me by the side of the road. I saw it too, she said, her voice trembling. They were right there, and then they just disappeared. We exchanged a nervous glance, our minds struggling to process the inexplicable event we had just witnessed. There was no logical explanation for what had occurred. It defied the laws of nature and reason. With a sense of unease that lingered long after we had resumed our journey, we continued on our way to East Stroudsburg. The memory of the person in scrubs would haunt our thoughts, a perplexing and unsettling mystery that would forever remain unsolved. As the first light of dawn broke over the Poconos, casting a warm and reassuring glow over the landscape, we finally reached our destination. We pulled into our driveway, grateful to have left the dark and eerie night behind us. But even as we stepped out of the car and entered our home, we couldn't shake the feeling that the Poconos held secrets we may never fully understand.
The memory of the disappearing figure in the scrubs would forever serve as a reminder that sometimes, in the dead of night, the line between the ordinary and the supernatural could blur, leaving us with a sense of wonder and dread that would never fade. So, I arrived home at my apartment at 11.45 p.m. when I felt a presence by the wood line. I saw something looking at me, and then, finally, I saw two eyes. It seemed like it was stalking me. I could only see the eyes and the shape of its head. I couldn't really see its body, but instantly, I felt fear and went inside my apartment. Once inside, I started looking through the blinds just a little bit. I didn't want to move the blinds too much because I knew it knew where I was, so I didn't want to make any sudden movements with the window blinds. Then, I saw it heading my way. This beast looked like a bodybuilder with a wolf or dog-like head. Judging by its silhouette, this thing must have been 7 to 8 feet tall. It stopped, just for a second, right in front of my window, and then it left. I've never feared for my life like I did that night. The unsettling experiences I'm about to share with you began when I was around 12 years old and have left an indelible mark on my memory, continuing to haunt me even now at the age of 19. It all unfolded during a camping trip with my family, my sister Zoe, our father, and his then stepmother, along with her two daughters, Jade, who was my age, and Maddie, who was around my sister's age. Little did we know that this seemingly innocent excursion into the great outdoors would soon take a dark and mysterious turn. Our camping adventure had commenced uneventfully, with everything seemingly in order during the initial day of our trip. The sun shone brightly, and the world was imbued with the vibrant colors of nature. We were in high spirits as my sisters and I decided to venture to a nearby stream on our own, away from the watchful eyes of the adults. To ensure our safety, our father entrusted us with a walkie-talkie, a means of keeping in contact while we explored the area. Our path to the stream led us through a dense thicket, a corridor of underbrush that concealed the world beyond. With our shoes off, we delighted in the cool water, splashing and playing without a care in the world. It was a joyous occasion until Jade, my same-age stepsister, suddenly broke our revelry with a revelation. She claimed to have spotted something lurking among the trees, a figure shrouded in inky blackness. The figure's form resembled that of a man, but the lack of distinct features left us unable to ascertain more. We stared in its direction, an eerie sense of disquiet permeating the air when, just as suddenly as it had appeared, the figure vanished. Curiosity peaked, we cautiously returned to our watery play, but an unshakable unease had taken root within us. A short while later, curiosity compelled us to check if the enigmatic figure had returned to the scene. When we looked once more toward the thicket, our surroundings seemed to change dramatically. Silence descended upon the forest, muffling even the gentle sounds of the babbling stream. The woods that had once been teeming with life became still, as if the very essence of nature held its breath. For approximately 20 minutes, we scoured the dark recesses of the forest with our searching gazes, but the enigmatic figure remained elusive. Frustrated, we eventually abandoned our quest and decided to make our way back to the campsite. The path meandered through the woods, 
curving and winding, which meant that my sisters and I quickly lost sight of each other. As I forged ahead, I heard a twig snap behind me, and I instinctively turned, assuming it was my sisters catching up to me. However, what greeted my eyes sent a jolt of terror coursing through my veins. Just a foot behind me stood a towering, shadowy figure, its form enveloped in inky blackness. Its visage was obscured, and I could not discern the features of its face. Fear gripped me, and I bolted, running with all my might. The sensation of being pursued was palpable as I felt its presence trailing just inches behind me. My heart raced, and my breath came in ragged gasps, but I dared not glance over my shoulder. I sprinted with every ounce of energy I could muster until I burst forth into the open expanse of the campground. As suddenly as it had appeared, the ominous figure had vanished. I was left standing alone, gasping for breath, my heart pounding in my chest. It was a nightmare come to life, a surreal encounter that defied explanation. My sisters eventually emerged from the woods, but none of them had witnessed the entity that had pursued me. They were too far behind, separated by the winding path that concealed us from one another. I recounted the harrowing experience to them, my voice quivering, my eyes wide with terror, but they struggled to grasp the gravity of the situation. None of us could fully fathom the nature of the entity that had stalked me that day, and we returned to our campsite, haunted by an unsettling sense of foreboding. Throughout the remainder of our camping trip, the figure did not reappear as frequently, but it continued to lurk on the periphery of our awareness. Occasionally, we would catch sight of the shadowy figure standing in the distance, a silent sentinel observing our every move. The woods, once a sanctuary of natural beauty, had become tainted by an eerie presence that we could neither comprehend nor escape. Fast forwarding a couple of years, we decided to return to the same camping spot with my father's new girlfriend and her daughter, Stella. While I can't recall all the details of that particular trip, I distinctly remember Stella sharing a chilling revelation, she had also witnessed the enigmatic figure that had plagued our previous excursions. The years have passed, but the memories of those unexplainable encounters continue to haunt my thoughts, casting a shadow over my perception of the world. To this day, I cannot definitively explain the nature of the entity that stalked us in those woods. Its enigmatic presence remains etched into my memory, a lingering mystery that defies explanation and serves as a sobering reminder of the mysteries that lurk in the depths of the natural world. Throughout the winter of 1986, a certain ranger was riding his beat-up old snowmobile past a clearing in the deep woods of northern Wisconsin. It had just snowed, and there were many deer tracks all over the place. The ranger was patrolling this area because it had been getting hit by poachers more often than any other part of that forest. As he came to the edge of a small clearing, he noticed that one set of deer tracks led behind an old abandoned cabin at one corner of the clearing. The ranger later told me that he tried to convince himself not to go look around back there, but something kept pushing him to investigate further. He finally gave in, following those tracks until they disappeared under an upturned broken three-board fence surrounding what looked like a small abandoned garden. Inside the clearing, it was very overgrown with grass and weeds, 
so the ranger couldn't see anything except for some broken pieces of wood on the ground, which seemed to indicate that this was indeed once a garden. Of course, this is how it normally would have looked, except it was winter, and there was a lot of snow on the ground. The ranger just stood there perplexed about what would have made those deer tracks go into the fence. Then, just as he started to step inside the clearing, I jumped out from behind one of those huge pine trees right in front of him. It took him about two seconds to realize it was not a deer or another snowmobiler. The yellow eyes were glowing brightly at him through his trusty flashlight beam as he stared straight into its face from only 10 feet away. Instantaneously, his mind was yelling at him to run like hell, but his legs and feet were frozen in fear, just as frozen as everything around him was. And as he saw it start to lower its head and its upper body down, like it was beginning to crouch on all fours, almost like it had been in all force before this happened, the ranger's mind had finally snapped clear back into reality and began spinning around like a top. For those few seconds, he was finally able to get back on a snowmobile. As soon as he sat down on the seat, he felt those skis underneath him. He shot out of the snow, and he could feel this creature give chase. His only thought then was getting out of there as fast as possible. The ranger did not look back until he reached the tree line at least 200 yards away from where he had first seen this creature. By then, this being had lost him and had stopped following him altogether. When he turned to look, he looked at the clearing, but he couldn't see much of the trees. He could make out glowing eyes looking out into the darkness of the forest behind him. They were kind of fading, but only shortly in the distance. The ranger returned to the main place two days later with another ranger by his side. For some reason, nothing was ever found there, no other signs of life, nobody having ever been out there. This was very strange and was never actually reported on paper. What I believe the ranger saw was either a skinwalker or a windigo that he had potentially stumbled upon. If you talk to Native American tribes up there, those things are everywhere now. I don't think it was a skinwalker, but I do believe it could have been a windigo, potentially hunting for its next victim. Had that park ranger not acted quickly, the ranger could have been his next victim or meal, depending on how you want to look at it. Assuming the windigo or skinwalker was going to feast upon him or even worse, possess him to do its own wicked works using his body. Now, this is also not the first report that I've read about from people up here. This is not just from forest service personnel but also military personnel as well. I've even read personal reports from National Guard who are up near the border of Michigan, right by Canada, encountering their own creatures resembling a dead, rotting deer carcass, as one of them would describe. I know that might seem a little like creepypasta to you, but I'm telling you, these are pretty professional men and women. They don't have time for Reddit creepypasta stories or fake stuff. My conclusion is that these people are actually facing real-life demons or black magic practitioners who have managed to shapeshift into these beings. But from what I do understand from these reports, a lot of these men and women are afraid to talk about it. They always try to keep it on the down-low, and they really don't want their name getting out attached to it. After all, if word gets out that your name is attached to a report that says you encountered a creature like this or a windigo or a skinwalker, it could potentially destroy any career that you've ever dreamed of. So it makes sense why they want to keep it so low. 
From the sounds of it, we're dealing with supernatural entities here, beings far beyond that surpass the physical realm. These things will not only haunt you but possess you and do far worse damage to you than you can ever imagine. It's no wonder that even trained professionals like these men and women are scared of them and want nothing to do with them. It even seems that being trained and armed has nothing to do with it either. No matter how much weaponry you're carrying around, these things aren't hurt by mortal weapons. I had one National Guard explain to me that one of these beings dematerialized right in front of him when he pointed his weapon at it, completely terrified that he was having hallucinations or that he was borderline schizophrenic. They are very real. Please, when you're out in the woods, watch where you're going, and please, just because the woods exist doesn't mean you always need to be out there. Ever heard of Yosemite National Park? Yeah, you have. You've heard about how it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. You've heard stories of amazing feats of human strength performed on granite walls towering thousands of feet over beautiful meadows. You've heard of John Muir and his countless adventures around the area. You've heard of beautiful, majestic, and humbling sights likely to change your life. If you haven't, well, you have now but I guarantee that a lot of what goes on in the park goes unbeknownst to all of you. When I got my job as a ranger, I was ecstatic. I could not believe that my dreams were coming true. I was going to be paid to go and do what I would have done anyways, and I could not have been happier. I think it's time that they rewrite the job description. Maybe if they had, I wouldn't be en route to a mental institution. Maybe if they had, I wouldn't have night terrors so bad that my parents no longer let me sleep in their house. Maybe, just maybe, I could have actually lived, not worked for a year and a half only to be thrown into a psychiatric ward. Yeah, I think they need to rewrite the job description. I'm going to start this off slowly. I'll post my first experiences as a ranger, and then if people are interested in them I'll go further and further into detail about what had driven me to this point. I started out in my position excited beyond belief. I couldn't wait for my first day. And for the first several days, there was nothing I would have rather been doing. On my first backcountry trip I went out with a veteran ranger and hiked along the ridge line on the eastern side of Lyle Kamayan to Donahue Pass, over to Vogelzang, and down past Half Dome, Vernal and Nevada Falls and into the valley. From there we were supposed to hike up from Happy Isles back to our station in Tuolumne Meadows. Everything on the trip was going just fine. We didn't even run into anyone who was backpacking without a wilderness permit. No bears, no inclement weather. It was absolutely fantastic. Until we started up that inclined back to Tuolumne. It was going great. We got a late start after getting some food in Curry Village and decided to camp in the middle of the leg of the trail connecting the valley with the Tuolumne section of Yosemite High Country. We hiked off the trail a few miles to a small lake and set up camp. It was a beautiful night. It was early June, the creeks were full and gurgled happily, and there weren't barely any mosquitoes to feed on us. We were making our dinner when I went off into the trees to take a shit. I didn't know my companion too well and honestly didn't want him to stumble across me taking care of business, so I was sure to choose a location far away from our base camp. I found a nice stump on which I could spread open my wag bag, 
a LNT poop kit, and got to work. As I was starting to clean up, a deer walked right past me. I let out a small burst of surprise, caught off guard while doing my duty. As it turned its head towards me I let out another squeal, this time far more frightened. What it bought was a deer was a walking corpse. Its face was utterly and completely rotten. Both of its eyeballs had been obviously pecked out, and flesh hung from its skull, open, exposed, and covered in maggot larvae. It turned and left as quickly as it had come, leaving me distraught. I was so shaken up by the deer that I didn't even wipe my ass. I pulled up my pants and ran back to camp. Well, I ran back to where camp should have been. Nothing was there. No tent, no sleeping bag, no backpack. All of my gear was missing. There wasn't even a trace of any human activity in the area, and I could only tell that I was in the right spot because the lake was literally the only lake in the vicinity. The veteran ranger, and all of his gear, was missing too. It was as if everything had simply vanished. I started freaking out. I reached for the radio that should have been at my waist, only to find that it, too, was missing. I attempted to calm myself and tried not to panic. I still had a small day pack that I had put some supplies in, the poop kit, a collapsible fly fishing rod, a jacket, and some binoculars. It was forecast to be a cold night, so I started work on a fire, trying to stay calm and maintain my composure. A blue bird flew by and landed nearby, and as he turned to face me I almost passed out. Its head was completely bare, nothing but a skull and some obviously decaying muscle tissue remained. I threw a rock at it quickly, wanting it to get the hell away from me. I sacrificed my binoculars and used the dying sunlight to get a fire going close to the water. I then decided to try and catch some dinner, since I hadn't eaten since our meal in Curry Village and all of my food has disappeared. I got my gear situated and cast out an elk-haired caddis fly. I was bitten almost instantly, and pulled in a flopping skeleton of a trout. A skeleton, without any tissue. I turned and ran. I had run collegiate cross-country, and had been training for an ultra-marathon, so I was in good shape. I ran back to the trail and did not stop until I made it all 10 miles back to the valley. I ran downhill instead of up. I caught a yard's bus up to Tulum Meadows the next day. I ran into my boss's office, demanding to know what the F was going on, and in walks the veteran ranger who had disappeared the night before. They don't even let me talk, and tell me that I am assigned to another trip that is leaving within the next half hour. My boss hands me my lack bringing it out from the closet behind his desk. We are sorry. We really are, they repeat. We just needed to know if you could handle yourself without any gear. I told them about the rotting animals I had seen. They nodded, saying that if that had freaked me out, I wouldn't last long in the position, laughing all the while. I assumed that they thought I was joking, and I assumed that they were joking too. They weren't. I had no idea what was coming. This happened when I, 23 female was 13, it was 2013 or 14 at the time I was attending a middle school in my hometown in Utah and had worked after school in something they called the peer leadership program. We were working on an anti-bullying campaign for the school's spirit week, 
and I was charged with making the banner. At the time, I had set up in the hallway. The layout, very important, of the hallway I was in was on the second floor, directly in front of me was a staircase that lead to the first floor and what we called the catacombs of the school. Below the school is a bunch of tunnels that network all around the little town, there were many rumors about why, but the thing the teachers told us was they were dug during the Cold War, I should also add that there had been a bunch of weird things to happen at the entrance. It was always locked during school hours, but there had been reports going around about wet human hair being found in the basement right outside of the door, knocking coming from the other side, and screaming that happened at night according to one custodian from inside the catacombs. Directly to the right of the staircase was a dead-end hallway. There was only three classrooms on each side of the T-shaped hall, and they were all remedial-type classes, so extremely small. It was about 4.30 at the time, and most of the teachers had already gone home, the only people in the hallway were myself, and two other girls who were in the T-shaped hall working on posters. I was more of a recluse, especially when I work, so I didn't really want to sit with anyone, or anyone seeing my banner until it was done. I was in the middle of painting this giant beast of a banner when I heard a giggle so I looked up towards the stairs just in time to see a little girl with blonde hair run around the corner into the hallway. She couldn't have been more than 10. For some reason it gave me a very uneasy feeling watching her, so for a couple of seconds I just stared into the hallway. That's when she peeked her head back out and darted right back. Almost like she didn't want me to see her. It took everything in me to make myself stand up and walk around the corner to see who or what she was, but when the hallway came fully into view, I just saw my fellow students extremely focused on drawing their respective posters. Neither of them had blonde hair. No little girl was with them. Did you see a girl come around this corner? I remember asking and one of the girls said well yeah, you did, and laughed. I proceeded to explain what I had seen. They were both adamant that no one had come into the hallway before I did. Just in case, I went around checking all the doors and they were all locked tight. I was freaking out, and I could tell that it was freaking them out, so we all decided to just call it a day and go home after that. Posters and banner be damned. I still don't know what it was. I want to say it was a ghost, but she looked too. Real for that. Like I could actually reach out and touch her. That and I've had my fair share of hauntings at home in my own house, stories for another day, so the fact that the spirit of a little girl would make my hair stand on end, and my heart drop was extremely weird to me. Does anyone know what this could be? Could it be connected to the wet hair that was found years prior? Why couldn't anyone else see her? Why was I filled with immense dread when she ran by? On Friday night in late August, several people called the sheriff's office, claiming they had heard a large explosion. One call came in from the Five Mile Corner Store gas station, and the other was from a payphone near the same area. The police were dispatched to the area, and after a brief search, they located a small glowing fire and billowing smoke. They followed it to an isolated area on Priest Street, where they found an overturned car on fire. The car was entirely engulfed in flames. An approach was made for rescue, but no one was seen inside the fire. Eventually, the fire was put out, 
Though the car was burned to the bone, the area was cordoned off while the deputies investigated. Eventually, the car was identified as belonging to a man from South Bend, Indiana, who told the police that his brother had borrowed it. Shortly afterward, the police were notified by a local, Madrid Whitney, that two teenagers were in her house after being in an accident. The police interviewed the couple, Roy Townsend and Jay Arndt, both from Hillsdale, who were both in shock. They eventually indicated that they had been sitting in their car for some private time when something attacked it. They indicated that the auto was pushed forward and then flipped over. They claimed that something began smashing the vehicle. Mr. Townsend stated that at first, they had been hit by another car but couldn't understand when it appeared to be a thing. Townsend claimed that it was like a bear but looked like a giant man and began smashing the car. Miss Arndt indicated that Townsend initially took off running and left her there but then found her later as she ran along the road back toward the highway. She indicated that she was still very angry with him but even more scared that this thing would catch up to them. They stumbled upon the random house of Whitney Moore, who was very accommodating. At first, the police were skeptical and believed that the teenagers were attempting to cover up for wrecking the car. However, one of the multi-jurisdictional officers, Gourley Jones, at the scene, noticed that the tire drag marks ended at a point just over the lip of the hill. Upon further inspection, Officer Jones documented several important things. First, the skid marks continued over the hill, indicating that the car's wheels were locked, and the car was moving at a constantly slow rate of speed as it came to rest on a small knoll. Secondly, the tread marks were clear and articulated at the pivot point where the car flipped, indicating it had been lifted rather than suddenly going airborne. Third, if the car had flipped over as a result of losing control at a high rate of speed, it would have gone airborne at the peak of the hill, rather than after descent down the slight incline. At the time, the other officers ridiculed Jones, and his immediate supervisor rendered his observation as irrelevant, stating that it would not change the outcome of things. Townsend and Arndt did not sustain any remarkable physical injuries, but their parting was not amicable. Officer Jones indicated that the next day, in the light of the sun, he searched the area. He noted in his report that the brush and grass leading to the woods and lake had been obviously disturbed by something. He also indicated that he found no footprints but added that the soil was dense with crabgrass or stone to the waterline, making it unlikely for any footprints to be left behind. So this happened to me in 1978, or 1979 I was kindergarten or first grade at the time, in Centennial Park in Sydney. I was at a fifth birthday party, coming back from the cinema, the theatrical cut of the Spider-Man TV series at Bondi Junction Plaza, and in the back of a station wagon with another friend whilst the other kids were in the back seat and we were all being driven to the bicycle course. As we rounded a clearing that was obscured by trees, I've included the two locations where I think this was, I was too young at the time to know exactly which part of the park I was in, I saw something that was just plain odd. What I saw initially was a very cartoonish looking wooden hut, very cubical, probably about 2.5 meters times 2.5 times 2.5 with a triangular roof, and a large window on the side. 
On the inside of the window it looked like it was on fire. It just seemed almost cartoonish or childish in design. As we continued down the road, I could then see the back of a hooded, Franciscan monk-like figure walking out of this hut, carrying a triangular formation of stacked logs in his arms, to another pile of logs, also stacked in a triangular arrangement. As the perspective shifted, I could now see that the monk-like figure had the face of what looked like a gorilla, and huge bright yellow eyes. I could also now see inside the hut and it looked black, but can't remember if there was fire or not, but I did think at the time, it seems a rather small house to live in. This hut struck me as odd, because Centennial Park is not a forest, it's in the heart of the city, nor are there caretaker huts or anything like that, which was what I thought it may have been. The whole idea of a shack in the woods in Centennial Park is equivalent to seeing an oasis at the beach. It's very out of place. I motioned to my friend next to me hey what's that? And he didn't understand what I was gesturing at. He didn't or couldn't see anything I was talking about. Also, even if it was a caretaker hut, I doubt caretakers look like hooded gorillas. It's annoyed me that no one else saw what I saw or that kids can be so stupid they don't recognize something slightly anomalous when they see it, but the whole thing was real to me, and I could see it from different angles as we traveled past it, which took about 10 seconds. No one else in the car noticed it either. I don't remember getting overly alarmed or excited, nor do I remember asking the other friends if they saw it after my friend denied seeing it. This incident has been etched into my brain for over 45 years, and I've mentioned this story in two places on the internet over the last 20 years, but never got any response. In particular, I found a post discussing the hooded beings and something with a triangular motif, 40 in times or mysterious universe forums, and so I think that there may be some connection to it. At the time this happened, I lived near St. Louis, Missouri with my daughter and my husband. My daughter, her friend, and I had gone to a local mall to do some shopping before school started. We were walking out of one of the stores, and there were some people walking in at the same time. I happened to glance up and notice, one of the women walking in. Her true face, it shone through her human skin. It was the face of a brown horse with the shape of the horse's head morphed under the women's long dark hair. When she noticed that I saw her true form, she snapped her head around and stared at me as I walked away. I was telling my daughter and her friend what I saw, and what was happening, but they just laughed and did not believe me. Please tell me someone else has seen something like this and I am not the only one. I can't forget what I saw that day. I wish I could draw but I can't please please someone tell me that they are seeing something like this and it was at Chesterfield Mall in Chesterfield, Missouri in 2012. About 6 months in Austin, Texas. I woke up to just a face of a typical grey looking face. He looked old with wrinkles. His head was more triangular with floppy points. The only way I can describe the points of his head or face looked like the points of starfish. He had a very short a specific message for me. He said that they will be arriving soon only for a short period time. He stated that I needed to be ready with one question and one question only. 
said the encounter would only be telepathic like the one taking place at the time. Then he stole me to be ready and not to F it up. Then I woke up, saw him walking out my bedroom. His body was short and thin. He walked with severe limp and shaking stiff arms. Like he was crippled with Parkinson's or something like it. That's it. Nothing else to the story. I've never had any experience like this before. Nothing strange has happened since then, except the news. Very short and specific. Think about it every day. Don't think I'm gonna ask him anything. Maybe just a simple, thank you. I mentioned this one time in AIG comment. It was deleted or something. Can't find it on my history. This is my first time posting on here, so I'm not real sure where to start, but I thought this might be of interest to some of you. This all took place about 7 years ago give or take? There's lots to this story, so bear with me. I'm used to writing fiction, specifically horror, so trying to describe something that was very real is almost sort of odd? But, let me go ahead and set the scene. It all started with an old, three-story, red brick house. I try to keep my identity kind of anonymous on here, so I'd prefer not to give specifics on the location, but I will tell you it's in the south, and that it's a hop, skip and a jump away from Tennessee. This was one of the biggest houses I'd lived in until recently. Regardless, I was young, a teenager, around 16, and the house seemed grand to me. It was in a well-established neighborhood that had a good name within the community, and my parents were elated at the fact that they were finally able to move out of the house we were renting, and into something that would be more our own. Although the house was beautiful. There was much more to it. We didn't figure that out until after we bought it though. Walking around the house, I remember being excited, but I also remember this strange sense of heaviness, if that makes sense? Something about it just didn't feel quite right. My mom just chalked it up to the house being a little older. She explained that the creakiness and strange noises were just the house settling. Ironic enough, she sounded just like every other parent in the scary movies. In fact, she still refuses to believe anything that happened in that house was paranormal, even after we found out some interesting news from our neighbor. I'm not sure why we were never informed of this before we bought the house, but I still remember what he told us. Yep, he passed away in the basement. Died of a heart attack. The neighbor was old, late 80s, early 90s? His name was Fred. He lived right next door to us with his wife, Sybil, and their yard was always immaculately kept, but that's besides the point. He mentioned that he even knew the complete layout of our house because he did some of the woodwork in it. The craftsmanship was great. All of the crown molding was what my mom referred to as character. He didn't say any of this though until a couple of weird things had happened prior, so let me back up some. Before we ever met Fred, we had an issue with the doorbell. It would ring at odd hours of the night and sometimes early into the morning, but when my dad would startle awake and get up to check, there was never anyone there. That went on for several weeks. By about the end of the first week though, my dad just about lost it. Inside the house, we had these things called doorbell chime boxes. There was one on the main floor and one in the basement. Of course, 
None of us slept in the basement so he ignored that one, but the one on the main floor was quickly silenced. Well. Sort of. He thought taking out the batteries would solve the issue. But somehow, despite his best efforts, it still rang? Now, I know what you're thinking, how is that even possible? We still don't have an answer for that. Next, he ripped it out of the wall hoping that if the wiring wasn't connected, it would stop. Wrong. So, after a while we just learned to live with it. That was until we met Fred and he told us about what I stated above. Now everything was starting to make sense. Perhaps this was a haunting? There would continue to be strange things that would happen, but instead of going into detail about every single one of them, and writing a small novel, I'll just briefly list a few. 1. My brother and my dad were playing video games in the basement. They each had headsets on and heard a strange voice in the background. Neither of them were playing with other gamers. Although they could not make out what it said, they both agreed that it sent a chill down their spine and successfully freaked them out. 2. We heard a strange noise in the garage and the motion-activated light flicked on, so we pulled up the surveillance footage in our garage. Strangely enough, it was as if the footage was deleted. There was footage from before a certain time and after that time, but not at that time. 3. My parents slept downstairs on the main floor, and my brother and I slept upstairs. My dad would often report hearing footsteps back and forth between our rooms. Long story short, we weren't walking around. Early winter, maybe one to two feet of snow on the ground. I hiked into this spot to camp for the night. Of course there's no one around, no one winter camps here. I make a little snow cave, more like a body-sized tunnel. Then slide myself into my sleeping bag, and bivy sack before sliding into the snow shelter. Basically, my head is open to nature but body is wrapped in my bivy and the snow shelter. I get all settled in for sleep when I start to hear footsteps crunching in the snow outside. I strain my ears to make sure I'm not going crazy. More footsteps. Am I hearing right? Are they getting closer? After several minutes I start panicking. I'm in this cocoon of fabric and bivy sack, I am ripe for killing. But maybe they don't see me I'm pretty well hidden. So I wait. More footsteps and every time I stop to listen they seem to stop too. I very carefully open a tiny bit the zipper of my bivy to peer out into the white darkness. Can't see anything okay, I'm going to die. That's when I start yelling to this person that I know they're out there and I'm going to kill them. Ready for battle but scared shitless. More footsteps, they are not stopping. I open the top of my mummy bag, bivy, and the shelter as fast as I can ready to fight for my life. There's absolutely no one there. I listen closely. Nothing. So I just wait peering out there. Then as I lay my head down on the fabric of my bivy sack. I realized that my eyelashes were scraping against the fabric making it sound like footsteps in the snow. I've never been so self-embarrassed, foolish, and relieved at once in my life. And 10 years later I still laugh when I sleep in that bivy. Ever since I was a little girl, I believed in everything spiritual, ghosts, aliens, fairies, and more. 
My friend, let's call her Sarah, on the other hand, was convinced that all of this was just nonsense. One day, we were at our other friend's place to spend the afternoon there. At this point, we must have been around eight or nine years old. I don't know if this is something all little girls did, but at this age, we used to go to the toilet together so we could talk in the meantime. This afternoon, I had to use the bathroom and I asked Sarah to join me. When we entered, we realized that our friend had one of those life-size doll heads that you could use to practice doing makeup and hairstyles. I was sitting on the toilet, and the doll head was right in front of me, looking in my direction. My friend Sarah was standing by my side, also looking at the doll head. I told her that I was getting bad vibes from it and feeling scared, but she dismissed me, saying I was just being dramatic. Suddenly, the doll just turned its head and looked in her direction, and we both started screaming simultaneously and ran out of the bathroom. I didn't even flush the toilet and only pulled my pants up halfway. Years later, we were talking about this, and Sarah was downplaying it by saying we probably just made the story up. Still, I vividly remember this to this day, and the fact that we both started screaming at the same time is proof enough for me that this really happened. So little background, it's 2012 I just graduated high school and my brother moved from Florida to Maryland to maintain foreclosures in the Maryland and DC area. I spent my two summers between college to work for him giving him a little break running his crew around moving, changing locks, cleaning the house, and taking pictures etc. Our route sent us around DC and he often would put together the morning of early and then browse daily mail and other articles. He somehow stumbled across an article about how the movie Exorcist was inspired by this property in DC on Bunker Hill Road. Which we just so happened to maintain one of the neighbor's properties. That day it was my brother and myself, and we decided we would stop by where the old three-story house once stood. To be honest I hadn't known what was there, I knew of the movie The Exorcist but never been into scary movies so didn't really know much about it. Well the house where the 14-year-old boy lived in 1949, where the exorcist was performed is no longer there. Today it's a normal-looking historic street with older homes and this vacant lot with some trees and nice grass. It's now a park, and even has signs about no entry between dusk to dawn. On the property where the house sat is a pavilion for the public shaped in an octagon if I remember maybe raised three feet from the ground, with a wraparound ramp. Around the ramp were bushes that circled the pavilion. So we decided to walk up there. It was quiet and nothing seemed eerie or strange as we walked up the ramp. This is where it gets odd. We walk up the ramp into the center of the pavilion, and not until we actually are in the pavilion nearly dead center we hear buzzing. Not just like a little fly or a bee flying by but hundreds of insects which we assumed were flies began to buzz all in unison from around the entire pavilion. It was very loud and noticeable swarm in the bushes. They didn't fly around either, we just stood there and looked around then at each other and were shocked and we did not stay. And bugs are totally normal but I don't get why they didn't make a sound as we walked up the ramp or around the pavilion as we were so close to the bushes then. Hell I maintained several properties and never experienced anything like that in mother nature or anywhere for that matter. Those summers I experienced ground bees, to spiders, 
to voodoo in basements, books on spells and witchcraft, glass orbs or crystal balls, trap houses, hell we even explored the haunted abandoned insane asylum up there but that moment still freaks me out. I have experienced something unexplainable in my past and now I've found the place to dump this story and possibly get insight or answers or opinions. I've never been the type that believed in ghosts, entities, the paranormal etc. until some very peculiar things started happening in the house I lived in with my mother and twin sister in 2021. It started in my twin's room. Random objects in her room would be turned 180 degrees facing the wall. This was the pattern. From what I can remember it was two objects that kept getting tampered with, a mannequin bust, without a head, my sister got from an antique store that was set on a pedestal and a mirror I don't remember where she got that she had up against the wall on the ground which was pretty heavy. These two objects would be turned while we would be gone out of the house. This happened a couple times. I don't remember being scared. I found it really intriguing or exciting lol. I remember though we, my twin, mother, and I, informed my grandfather who lived about 5 minutes away of the situation and we scouted the house for signs of a squatter or anything else that could explain. Nothing. No signs whatsoever. Nothing abnormal. Fast forward a couple months. As time passes we noticed my sister's belongings being turned more frequently. It started off maybe once a month. Then a couple times a week. I remember we got so used to it that one time when it happened again in my sister's room I laughed it off then trailed to my room. That's when everything changed. I was terrified. My belongings were now turned. It was a completely different feeling. It felt personal, invasive, and not the least bit funny anymore to say the least. I remember an antique doll my grandmother gave me that I had propped up against the wall for back support on my bedside table was now facing the wall and I you not was now sitting up 90 angle with no back support. I was so shaken I forgot to take a photo. I kick myself for that every day. Also, I had a small plushie sitting in her lap that was moved to the inside of my closet on the opposite wall. The scariest part was this plushie, context avocado plushie with a face, was facing towards the opening of the closet. So when I got done setting my doll back up and turned around this plushie was staring right at me. That was when I lost my cool, ran downstairs and broke down in fear curled up with my sister. My mother was asleep during this time. So my sister and I comforted each other. To end this story, we had our witchy friend come over the next day and sage the house, it never happened again. I'm now living in a different state and still have my doll and avocado plushie. I know this was a long read and I'm a horrible storyteller so a big thank you to whomever reads it all. I just really want to find an explanation for the pattern that occurred before I leave this earth. I'm happy to answer any questions, this was my best attempt at summing this all up. So first I'll start with what just happened. I was in the kitchen warming up leftovers and while putting ketchup on it I heard my daughter in the dining room. I heard her voice say something but I couldn't hear her, which is normal she talks softly on the mornings. But here's the thing. 
My daughter is asleep and is wheelchair bound at the moment so there is no way that she could have come and said something and run off without me noticing. I'm starting to freak out at this point. Background info, we moved in summer 22. Since moving in my daughter, same one, I have three, has heard voices, seen shadows, heard breathing, once had her hair tugged lightly, and at night whatever is here used to mess with stuff in her room till she started yelling at them and they leave her alone at night. I have heard voices, X. Kids at school, I was on the couch, I heard my middle daughter say mama, there are times it's a male voice and these voices usually aren't really loud except the time I heard mama, I've heard banging on the walls but not in a threatening way, I've seen shadows and even some figures look like they are wearing a white shirt like my boyfriend always does, I've watched them walk into my room midday out the corner of my eye and at night while laying in bed, sometimes I hear movement on my desk but I know it's not the cats cause my desk is too cluttered and would completely crash if it were cats. I have an Xbox One in the living room for the kids to use and my daughter has one in her room and a lot of nights they turn on by themselves. We thought it was cats but she watched it happen late one night no cats around. I thought it was maybe a little power surge but nothing else in the same surge protector reacts. A few months back we were having problems without power going out for just a few seconds and I asked neighbors but they did not experience anything. This house was built in the 90s so it isn't super old. My daughter and I practice magic, mostly cleansing and healing. She practices more often than I do but I know she is not doing anything bad because I've talked to her and taught her that bad magic will only bring bad things to her. She has protection runes placed in her room and that has helped calm activity in there for the most part. I apologize for rambling but I'm really starting to worry and I need advice. If anyone could help that would be wonderful, thank you. Okay so I'll start with a short story of something that happened to me when I was 5, not sure if it is connected but it did happen around the same time. I was playing with a ball out on the street footpath with my cousins, bouncing the ball with my 5 year old coordination it skimmed my shoe and bounced onto the street. Without a thought I chased the ball followed by the screaming screech of tires, I closed my eyes and just held on to the ball like my life depended on it. The car had managed to stop only an arm's reach in front of me, my cousins and I bolted not looking back knowing we'd get in trouble if we stuck around. Later that week I went to the mall with my mom and dad. My mom was close shopping which was killing me with boredom so I was looking for something to do to keep my 5 year old brain occupied. This was the 1990s so anything really is these were simple times without the electric devices we have today. I went over to the escalator to pull on the rubber handrail pretending like I had super strength and it was all me bringing people down the mechanical stairs. I was having the time of my life, groaning and straining as with all my playful effort helping people get from the first floor to the ground floor until I got an overwhelming feeling something wasn't right and what wasn't right was behind me. I turned my head while still holding on to the rail. A man in his late 40s early 50s dressed in black hand his hand reaching out to me like he was going to grab me but as we locked eyes he stopped and paused then smiled turned his hand into pistol shape and made a shooting gun gesture. I freaked out looked for my parents then looked back and he was gone. I then ran over to tell my parents but as I was safe and there didn't seem to be any real danger around, 
My mum just told me off and simply said that's enough mucking around and to stay by her side. Here's the strange part, 10 years later I'm now 15 and again I'm in the mall with just my mum this time. Shopping for shoes this time. I get the exact same feeling out of nowhere, I look back and there he is and he has not aged a day same guy except this time I'm taller than him. He did the exact same thing as when I was 5. I turned to lock eyes with him just before he was able to grab my shoulder, he then turns his hands into a pistol and fires. I didn't really react as immediately I got the flashbacks of when I was a child and sort of froze, I looked at my mom who was still checking out shoes and then looked back and he was gone. Now another thing worth mentioning but once again the I'm not sure it's connected, is that I almost died earlier that year by choking on some lamb that I inhaled while laughing at something I saw on the TV. Haha <laughs> so I'm loosely saying I think this guy dressed in black was death, saying I almost got you and eventually I will hence the shooting gun gesture. Or this is a guy who ages really well and is trolling me in one of the longest played out gags in history. Would love to see your thoughts guys or if anyone else has experienced something similar?